Solutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, what's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute, live from the new WBAI studios. We are a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 95,000 members nationwide. New York City DSA is our biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Once again, my name is Amy Wilson. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a worker and organizer here in New York City. The holiday season is in full swing, and as some people head off toward time off and relaxation, workers in many industries are facing their busiest time of year. As a retail worker myself, I'm all too familiar with the pressures of the holiday season in my own work, so I'm thrilled to be joined live tonight by my labor movement brother, Connor Spence, a worker organizer at Amazon's first union distribution facility, JFK8 on Staten Island. We'll discuss his work as a co-founder of both the Amazon Labor Union and the ALU Democratic Reform Caucus, and how Amazon workers are banding together and upping the pressure on this mega corporation to bargain a first contract with workers at JFK 8. We'll also talk about Amazon Labor Union's recent organizing around Palestine solidarity and the movement to stop the U.S.-Israeli war machine from the bottom up. It is WBAI's holiday fund drive this week, and we have a generous matching fund tonight for donations made in the name of Revolutions Per Minute. So please take a moment and make your donation now by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or visiting WBAI.org. Please stick around for a great show. But first, the headlines with Caroline Van Zeitz. Hello, listeners. This is Caroline with your headlines for today, Tuesday, December 19th. In local news, the New York City Council pushed back on Mayor Eric Adams' proposed budget cuts in a contentious hearing with members of the mayor's administration, arguing that he is using recent migrant arrivals as a scapegoat to cut back on city services. A new report from the city's independent budget office found that 30% of the proposed budget cuts could sustainably impact the lives of New Yorkers. The report also estimated that the city's budget deficit is far smaller than the one estimated by the Adams administration. A federal judge found the Adams administration and the Department of Corrections in contempt of court for violating orders related to the Rikers Island jail complex. The Civilian Complaint Review Board is reviewing New York Police Department officers to hand over evidence in police misconduct cases within 90 days, although the oversight agency has no way of enforcing such a deadline. A six-story building in the Bronx partially collapsed, leaving over 150 people displaced from their homes. City and state have published a running list of bills passed by the state legislature this year that Governor Kathy Hochul has not yet signed. 
Advocates and policy experts have been calling on Governor Hochul to declare a state-level public health emergency in response to the opioid crisis, as eight other states and the federal government have done. But the governor has resisted those calls, despite the fact that opioid deaths are at an all-time high in New York State. In elections news, the Republican Party has nominated Mazi Malesa Pillup, an Ethiopian-born former paratrooper in the Israeli Defense Forces and a current member of the Nassau County Legislature, to run for the congressional seat recently vacated by George Santos, NY3, Massapequa, Floral Park, Little Neck, in the February 13th special election. Pillup's opponent, the Democratic nominee and former NY3 congressman Tom Susie, declined to seek the endorsement of the Working Families Party, despite having secured their support in the past. Susie is seeking to cast himself as a moderate Democrat and a staunch supporter of Israel. The special election will be the first test of New York State's new vote-by-mail law, which allows all voters to request a mail-in ballot without needing a specific reason. The law goes into effect January 1, 2024. The New York State Court of Appeals, New York's highest court, ordered the state's independent redistricting commission to redraw the state's 26 congressional districts by February 28th, erasing the lines drawn by the special master for the 2022 congressional elections. The majority opinion in the 4-3 decision to redraw the maps was written by Chief Judge Rowan Wilson, who was sworn into the position this year after a progressive campaign convinced Democrats in the state Senate to reject Governor Hochul's initial nominee, Hector LaSalle, because of his conservative record. Several former members of Congress who lost their re-election campaigns due to redistricting in the 2022 cycle may see the new congressional maps as an opportunity for a comeback. A close ally and deputy of George Latimer, the centrist Westchester County executive primarying Jamal Bowman in NY16, Wakefield White Plains, Yonkers Rye, is a member of the Independent Redistricting Commission. The Working Families Party has called on him to recuse himself from redistricting. Latimer has publicly stated that he won't be able to win the primary if the redrawn district includes more of the Bronx. For Revolutions Per Minute, this is Caroline Van Zeitz. Now back to the studio for today's show. Thank you, Caroline. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA's electoral working group covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. And we turn now to our live guest in the studio, Connor Spence. Connor, welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. Hi, thanks for having me. So if you could introduce yourself to our listening audience, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and um, we'll ask you the question that we love to ask of all our guests on Revolutions Per Minute. What are the social forces that shaped you as an organizer and brought you into the politics that you currently have? Sure. Uh, so my name is Connor Spence. I'm an Amazon worker. I've been working for Amazon since 2017. I started at a warehouse called EWR4 in Robbinsville, New Jersey. I transferred to a warehouse called JFK8 in Staten Island, New York, and I'm a founding organizer of the uh, Amazon Labor Union, the union campaign that we ran there, the first and so far the only successful union campaign at an Amazon warehouse in the U.S. Uh, I recently was terminated after three years of organizing Amazon for leading a walkout in October during uh, Prime 2.0, Amazon's new uh, additional Prime Day that they've added to, to, I guess, October. 
And uh, as far as what has radicalized me, I'd say that uh, Amazon and the working editions there did a pretty good job of radicalizing me and going through the experience of working at Amazon and being tracked so closely every single move I made and the, the rate-based quotas and the Kafka-esque uh, system of dealing with management and HR did a good job of leading me to the conclusion that the only way to improve the working conditions at Amazon or a company like Amazon is to talk to coworkers and organize. Thank you. And I'm really excited to dig into um, how that has gone for you um, over the last three years, over the course of tonight's show. Um, for those who are maybe just tuning in, this is Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. And today we're talking about organizing logistics and distribution workers, what could be more seasonally appropriate for the holiday season, with Connor Spence of the Amazon Labor Union. We're also fundraising tonight, um, as you will hear across uh, the WBAI station this week. We have a matching fund. A generous donor has volunteered to match donations made during this hour in the name of Revolutions Per Minute. And that money will go to paying the rent on WBAI's broadcasting tower. So it's a great night to make a donation. And I'll read the number for that one more time. It's 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. If you'd like to take a moment either now or after tonight's show, uh, to make a donation in support of WBAI making the rent um, and making it through uh, to another year here, uh, 2024. So uh, turning back to you, Connor, um, let's talk a little bit about the background of um, what's happened in your union so far. So you're here representing Amazon Labor Union. You're also a member of the Democratic Reform Caucus within that union and really regular listeners of Revolutions Per Minute might recall um, our discussion of the reform efforts in your union back over the summer. But certainly listeners of WBAI and Revolutions Per Minute are familiar with internal reform union efforts in general. It's a very um, hot topic right now um, that's happening in a lot of uh, different types of unions ac across the country. So uh, if you could, for those who are kind of just tuning in, catching up with this story, give us an update on the progress of your organizing and what's going to be next for Amazon Labor Union. Yeah, so uh, after we won back in April of 2022, it was such a huge achievement for workers that uh, not only was there a successful union campaign at Amazon, but the successful union campaign was led by an independent union with no institutional backing. We weren't affiliated with any established union. We were essentially just an internal committee of workers doing the work on the shop floor. And we took on this behemoth Amazon and a David and Goliath story and won. And that was a huge deal for a lot of people. And uh, that was not lost on us. And in the, the coming months after that win, uh, there was a lot of pressure on us as this, you know, new crazy like success story of, of a union and we were pulled in a lot of different directions and uh there ended up being a lot of internal disagreements over the future direction of the union and so i uh, became one of the founders of a reform caucus that our, our basic um kind of perspective on the future of ALU was that we, in order to take on Amazon, we needed to continue organizing on the shop floor, build for collective action, 
potentially take the workforce out on strike and avoid a legalistic approach of relying on the NLRB and bargaining orders to get us our contract. The good thing is that that internal dysfunction is settling down a lot. And there was a lawsuit that we recently settled between our reform caucus and uh, the offices of the union where we we came together and had a really great talk about what is the future of the union? What is a framework that we can agree on for moving forward with the union? And uh, I don't think there's too much I can say about it right now, but it's just really optimistic and everybody's coming together in a really positive way. So I guess keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. And um, we'll certainly be covering it here on Revolutions for a Minute. And as you said, this Amazon story is of interest to probably everybody, um, whether they're workers primarily, consumers primarily, um, the investing class certainly is keeping a close eye on uh, what you all are doing because it is such a big deal to take on a mega international corporation um, like Amazon. And I do just want to say congratulations on um, some successful organizing on the part of your reform caucus. I think it really goes to show one thing that we do hear over and over again from union reformers here on Revolutions Per Minute is that union reform, like all workplace organizing, is, is really an effort that's done out of love and the desire to preserve uh, the union and preserve the organization and not a desire to destroy um, the organization, which is something that's sometimes hurled at union reformers in bad faith. So I think it really goes to show the power of um, making an organized effort, uh, taking the dysfunction, doing something with it. Um, and I really respect that because... I think um, a lot of times things never get to that point and things just kind of fizzle because of internal dysfunction. So as an organizer, I do really respect the work that you and um, the Democratic Reform Caucus put into making your union something that you want to see um, and that you think will win success for workers, um, because that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. So let's dig into some of the organizing um, that you've been able to do. You mentioned the walkout in October. Um, people who were listening to the station right before um, might have heard Electronic Antifada um, talking about tech and Israel. And I know that your union is doing some work around Palestine solidarity and some of the work that um, Amazon has done um, to feed the um, Israeli occupation. So if you could uh, break that down for our listeners, I, I think a lot of people would be very interested to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's really important for us that there is a a stance from people in labor on this issue, uh, you'll see in a lot of established unions, they're, they're very cautious about taking a stance, especially on Palestine. And our president has been very vocal about, um, you know, supporting the Palestinian people. We've put out statements, uh, both the union and the reform caucus have put out statements in support of Palestine and calling for a ceasefire. Uh, additionally, we do a lot of work internally to educate workers on this issue, bring them out to rallies, bring them out to show solidarity. And uh, even recently we sent out a link to our members to do a teach-in where we brought someone in to talk and give more context to the struggle and the history behind it and help educate workers in that way. So it's, um, it's difficult. You know, it's a question of what role does labor play in politics? Cause I mean, you can also go to the other extreme and, be one of those established unions that funnels a lot of money into politics, particularly the Democratic Party, with no real results. Um, 
So we, we try to figure out how to approach that in a way that actually builds power and actually achieves justice. And for us, it's mainly about educating the workers and having a program that involves political education. Yeah, so if you could uh, talk in a little bit more detail about um, what that political education involves. So um, is it more general, broad-based about uh, the role of, of labor in Palestine and uh, anti-war struggles in general, or um, more specific about uh, working at Amazon? More recently, it's obviously it's become a lot about Palestine as that issue has really heated up. Generally, we try to organize workers in a way that meets them where they're at. It isn't too politicized. It's really just focusing on what are the issues in the workplace, who's responsible for fixing those issues, the bosses, and why aren't they? And then you can segue that into a discussion that really is at its core about building class consciousness and class politics. And from there, once you have that acknowledgement, there's a lot of connections you can draw. You can draw connections to the situation in the Middle East and other things that are happening in society, climate change, et cetera, all these pressing issues that workers need to be educated about. It all starts from that building that base of class consciousness. Is there a specific demand? Uh, you mentioned statements from the union and the uh, Democratic Reform Caucus, but is there a specific demand of Amazon around Palestine? Um, there is. Uh, we had we had we put out a statement that was listed quite a few stances we take on the issue and, and demands. I think uh, one of the things we're demanding is an end to Project Nimbus. Could you say a little bit more about what that is? Um, Generally, the uh, you know the, the company uh, does a lot to kind of um, support tech in in making this conflict worse than it is, and so um, it's it's one of the things we actually are doing a walkout tomorrow where uh, we are protesting a lot of the issues happening around peak, which is higher wages, um, an end on just firings, and end to mandatory overtime. And we're also trying to tie it into these issues of um, Amazon using their tech to support the, the conflict in the Middle East. And we're trying to tie it all together in that way. Great. Well, um, best of luck with your walkout tomorrow. Um, I know that this is a busy time for all logistics and distribution and um, everybody in that general industry. Um, but looking uh, kind of more toward the big picture. Uh, as you mentioned, hopefully the next step for the union is um, starting to negotiate that first contract. Um, so if you could tell me a little bit about how do you see that process unfolding? What do you think it's going to take um, to finally get Amazon to the table after almost two years after your um, union victory? And what type of issues are um, you finding most important to your coworkers that you think are going to be uh, ending up being negotiated in that contract. Yeah, like I said, with Amazon, we really don't understand. Um, I guess for us, the only thing that we think is going to get them to the table is pressure that comes from the workers themselves. So internal pressure, collective action, building for a strike. Uh, we don't think the NLRB is going to get us a contract. We don't think lawyers are going to get us a contract. And even if Amazon started bargaining tomorrow, uh, we would need some kind of power in place to create pressure to create concessions. 
Um, and so that's going to take a lot of organizing around issues that resonate with the workers. I could tell you right now, a lot of it is going to be the fact that Amazon doesn't pay a living wage to workers in New York. It's probably about $25 an hour at least would be a living wage. Amazon pays around 20 and especially during peak season when the company's raking in billions in profits, um, there's there's essentially no nothing in place as far as profit sharing, as far as bonuses. The workers are overworked. They call weeks after week of mandatory overtime. And on top of that, any workers who are trying to organize and, and fight against that end up terminated like me. So um, we are identifying these issues with the workers. We want to uh, come up with contract demands. And once we have a good idea of what those are, we're going to probably start building for collective action that really disrupts the production and shows the company that if they're not going to treat the workers with respect, then the, the, the workers aren't going to create any value for the company. What type of organizing challenges do you face um, organizing in your specific, I know you one organizing challenge is a really big one is that you've been removed from the ability to go there <laughs> um, but by virtue of your termination. I'm not, not not laughing, not making light of your situation. It's just something that I think we as union organizers kind of accept um, as an inevitability um, on, on some level. So if, if you want to discuss that, um, I'd be certainly happy to learn more about it. If you'd like to speak more in general about some of the the challenges and how you work around them as a team of organizers, I'd also be interested to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, as far as determination, it's obviously just a risk that we accept in organizing, especially a company like Amazon that doesn't really care about breaking the law. They've been doing it for three years since we started our campaign and have been doing it to people even before that. Um, but it's just about accepting that firing one person doesn't kill the movement. We, the work still gets done. If anything, uh, it frees me up to go around and help other Amazon workers, share what I've learned in organizing JFK8, share what I've learned from our election. And it gives the other leaders in our building an opportunity to pick up some of the slack and develop themselves a little more. So uh, when Amazon gives us lemons, we make lemonade. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of a part of the origin story of um, Amazon Labor Union itself, right? I remember hearing about Chris Smalls being fired and kind of turning that into um, a success moment um, when the, the union won its election back in April of, of 2022. So it's, it's pretty common for um, organizers to kind of come out stronger from that type of event. But it's definitely something like, as you say, that... Um, doesn't kill a movement if you only take take one person out. Um, although it, it definitely is, let, let me just pause to say, it definitely is a very effective tactic um, by the boss, and I've experienced that myself, because it does instill fear um, in the workers. Um, nobody wants to lose their job. Um, but I think it was actually you, Connor, who told me when I was chatting with you about this uh, a few months ago, that what you have to do is push people's anger uh, to a greater level than their fear and get people to take to take action, which um, when people are put into a pressure cooker, um, when they're underpaid, when they're overworked, when they're surveilled, it becomes easier and easier to do that. You know, they always say the boss is the best organizer. Exactly. Yeah. 
So I'm live here with uh, Connor Spence from Amazon Labor Union. Um, we will be continuing this discussion later in the hour and we'll have some a chance to take a few calls um, tonight if you have any questions about what it's like organizing at Amazon. Um, I'm sure Connor would be glad to answer those. Uh, but first, uh, there's a different kind of call that we're looking for this evening. We are looking for donations to WBAI and you can do that by calling 212 209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it is a special night. There is a matching fund available for donors to Revolutions Per Minute this evening. So if you'd like to make your donation go that much farther, this would be the perfect night to give. Um, once again, that number is 212-209-2950. You can also go online and make your donation at WBAI.org. And I do believe that um, our engineer here in the studio wanted to say a few words about the fun drive as well. So I'm going to stop talking for a moment and let him take the microphone if he wants it once. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess he doesn't want to. Um, that's okay. Um, I'm not sure if it's Reggie or, or Max at this point, but um, regular listeners of WBAI have certainly heard from both of them um, very a lot of times throughout the years and throughout this week about the importance of donating to WBAI. Um, if there's at any point um, you want to jump in, you can go ahead and, and, and take over from me. Um, but until I hear that, I'm just going to say, you know, from my heart, um, how much I appreciate um, having this platform here on WBAI to share with organizers like Connor, um, to share stories like Connor's um, and the story of the Amazon Labor Union um, in a way that's focused um, in uh, a worker's perspective uh, from organizer to organizer. Uh, it's a really special thing. Um, it's something that is increasingly rare here in the capitalist media landscape. And if you're listening to WBAI, I suspect that you know that already. So um, maybe it's time to put that thought into action by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or going to WBAI.org. Um, if you're new to WBAI, just tuning in tonight, um, again, you heard Electronic Antifada, you're hearing us, you're going to be hearing great programming through the evening. A lot of the WBAI programming is created by people living right here in New York City um, who are uh, representing the voices of different communities, whether that be Palestinian voices, Arab voices, um, the Black diaspora is well represented here on WBAI. LGBT issues are well represented here on WBAI. Whatever you're looking to learn about or more of, WBAI certainly has it. So um, if that kind of thing appeals to you, um, you've come to the right place. Um, but it's a place that does need your support to keep operating, uh, keep that rent paid on the tower and keep our engineers paid. Um, it's a really important thing. Um, please uh, take a second, go to the website, check it out. If it looks good to you, you can make a donation right on there. It's WBAI.org, or you can call 212-209-2950 to make your donation tonight. And thanks so much for listening and for your support of Revolutions Per Minute. If you donate tonight to become a new supporter, it's going to be a really impactful way to go. Um, call the call center, 212-209-2950. 
let them know you'd like to support Revolutions Per Minute and that donation will be matched. So uh, coming back to our live interview here with Connor Spence, um, let's talk about, so you're here um, as a worker organizer from the JFK 8 facility on Staten Island, the first and to this point only Union Amazon Distribution Center. But I do know that uh, Amazon workers uh, in the distribution centers, as well as drivers, are organizing around the country. So um, if you could, could you kind of give us a brief description of what's going on with Amazon worker organizing outside of the JFK 8 warehouse? Yeah, so um, it's difficult because one of the questions we have to answer at JFK 8 is whether or not even within our one warehouse, there's enough leverage to bring Amazon to the table. And um, there's a lot of organizing cropping up at Amazon. It's not ALU. It could, you know, it's some independent union, some Teamsters, some whoever that it's all over the country. But one of the biggest campaigns that I think is showing promise is the one in Northern Kentucky at the KCBG air hub. And they uh, have been campaigning there for over a year. They're signing cards for an NLRB election. Uh, and they've built a really strong committee, so strong, in fact, that the company has just retaliated against 11 of their organizers and given them final written warnings, uh, and, which is like the, the last thing that happens before you get terminated like me. Um, but And it, it goes to show that with me and with that, Amazon really does see the tide is turning as far as organizing is being more aggressive than they ever would have been a couple of years ago. Uh, but there's also really cool stuff happening in New York. Uh, recently, I was at a rally, a picket at DPK4 in Queens, where uh, we did a picket and blocked the vans from coming out of the warehouse and shut down production for a little while. And the, that also was to protest a living wage and also the wrongful termination of an organizer. So there's a lot of promising things happening in Amazon organizing right now. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so I know that some people who are organizing at Amazon are organizing independently. I do know that I don't recall the exact details at this moment, but I do know there are some Amazon contract workers who organize with the Teamsters, um, which is a really interesting uh, new development because that's such a common um boss trick is to use uh, contractors and secondary employees that they don't have to negotiate um, with directly. So speaking of, of the Teamsters and speaking of kind of big labor stories of this year and internal union reforms, that was one of the biggest uh, over this summer was that um, uh, contract campaign by the Teamsters where they were out um, practice picketing at UPS. There was a lot of drum beating around a potential UPS strike um, and the fact that that would bring down 6% of the United States GDP, which is an incredible amount of power um, in workers' hands. And they did get a, a pretty good contract. So speaking as somebody who works in the same industry, broadly speaking, uh, do you recall that moment um, in, in labor? And what, if any, impact did that have on you and on uh, workers that you know personally? Yeah, you're, so you're talking about the, the UPS Contract, yeah, um, it was it was huge. Uh, it showed workers what's possible when you organize and create a credible strike threat. 
Um, it really helps communicate the power of doing that to a company like Amazon. It was also the success that came out of the UAW stand-up strikes. It really just makes the conversations with workers a lot easier. For a long time, you know, when you first start organizing, the word strike is like a dirty word. It's, you know, people, it's just for a long time, it's been such an alien concept to workers in this country instead of, you know, they really should view it as a normal, healthy part of having relations with employers. It's it's something that really without it, you, we wouldn't have a lot of things we take for granted now, the weekend and the 40-hour work week and at one point a middle class. Right, exactly. Um, I, it's interesting, you know, you say a lot of people who um, kind of like uh, romanticize striking um, and not so much the sort of daily grind work of organizing that that leads up to a strike, which is why I think um, the UAW stand-up strikes, as you mentioned, the Teamsters practice picketing um, were really, um, really, really cool to watch from the outside because they didn't make any secret of the fact of how much hard work that was and how much time, history, decades of history um, going into those those moments with both internal union reform in both the Teamsters and UAW, and then a lot of changes in terms of the outside material conditions, pressures on workers that are escalating um, people's need for living wages and, and better working conditions. So I think it's really interesting to consider, you know, how much goes into those big dramatic moments, which of course is something we discuss a lot here on this show. So um, in the spirit of uh, being transparent about what it takes to um, win for workers and what it takes to be an organizer, um, let's go ahead and open our phone lines for any comments or questions, um, even a simple message of solidarity um, here in the holiday season, I'm sure would be appreciated. So if you'd like to call in and ask a, a question or leave a comment, the number here in the studio is 212 209 2877. That's 212-209-2877. While we wait for any calls to come in, um, got a few more questions for you tonight, Connor, uh, starting with, let's again, zoom out even more. And what is the significance of logistics worker organizing? In other words, why um, should people care about what you're doing at uh, Amazon Distribution Center um, on Staten Island? Well, I think that one big thing to understand about Amazon is it's the second largest employer in the U.S., and it kind of sets the example for how employers are able to treat their workers, how what kind of wages are normal, what kind of working conditions are considered normal. And uh, Amazon has really done a good job of making the, the, the workplace pretty miserable for workers. And so I think that if you're able to organize uh, in the logistics industries at companies like Amazon, then and improve working conditions, improve wages, uh, just improve the relationships that workers have with employers. It's like the rising tide that lifts all boats. Then you start to see those, uh, those improvements spill over into other areas of the economy as well. Yeah, I really think that's true. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give our number in the studio one more time before I give my own thoughts on that. Um, it's 212-209-2877. 
That's 212-209-2877. This is Revolutions Per Minute, hosted by Democratic Socialists of America in New York City. I'm Amy Wilson, and my guest is named Connor Spence. He's a worker organizer at Amazon and has been for a long time, so has um, a lot of a lot of knowledge about that. Um, again, if there's questions, comments, or, or messages for us, uh, please give us a call, 212-209-2877. And, um, you know, speaking for myself, um, Connor, in response to what you just said, um, I have certainly mentioned it um, on RPM before. I alluded to it in the introduction to tonight's show. Um, I'm also a worker organizer in an industry that gets busy around the holiday season, uh, retail. <laughs> I work in a in a grocery store, Trader Joe's. And um, one of the things that we heard during our union drive is, um, well, you guys don't really need a union because you're not Amazon. It's not like you're Amazon warehouse workers or something like that. You know, like those are the guys that are are really, um, they really need a union and they're really working in, in dangerous conditions. And, you know, you kind of have it easy over here working in a grocery store. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Connor, anything to say um, in response to something like that? Um. Well, I would say that definitely it sounds like you need a union at Trader Joe's, especially from what I've heard. Uh, and any, yeah, a, a job that gets, I mean, I've been in Trader Joe's during the holidays and I don't envy uh, doing what you do. So, and that's coming from somebody who has worked in a warehouse that is crazy busy. Uh, I think that generally if you are in a workplace where there's improvements that you know need to be made, serious improvements, and your employee is not willing to make those improvements, then you probably need a union. And it doesn't matter if they say that you don't. Couldn't agree more. So it sounds like we do have uh, one call on the line. Um, I'll read the number one more time in case anybody wants to call in toward the end of our show. It's 212-209-2877. And let's get our uh, first caller live on air if we can. Hi. 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 Amy, right? That, your name is Amy? That's correct. Okay, Amy. My name's Russell. And uh, I'd like to ask Connor... A question. How did uh, the deposed president of the Amazon Labor Union go from a labor hero to nobody even wants to support him? I mean, I always was kind of suspicious about him. Was it always smoke and mirrors? I mean, it says he traveled too much. And is this why, like, no mega international union would organize at Amazon, Starbucks? Because they're, and, and don't take this the wrong way, too many narcissistic head cases in the current labor union. And I appreciate what you're all doing. It, it's. I mean, this guy was, was, is it challenging because Smalls often called any effort to remove him racist? It's like not woke. So my first question is, what do we learn from this? What's the takeaway with somebody who will stoop, stoop to this level? And the second, maybe more important question, Connor, is have you received any support from the Biden administration, the current one? Thanks very much. Thank you. Um, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, the internal politics of our union, I really can't and won't speak to it. Um, I'll say that just organizing an independent union is really difficult. And uh, especially when you're creating something that is just creating it from nothing out of the rank and file, uh, we're all learning as we go. And there's a lot of, there's inevitably going to be internal difficulties and challenges that come up. But uh, I think what we did as our reform caucus is we figured out what are the principles we really want to stand behind and we, we fought for them and we 
and you know, in a lot of ways we changed people's minds. We came to agreements over certain disagreements. And because of that, I'm really optimistic about the, the future of ALU. And, um, well, no one's, no one's been deposed that we, uh, part of this agreement is a framework to figuring out how we can have elections in our union in 2024. So, um, and there's really no limit to who can participate in that elect, elect the process. And, uh, if it's, you know, it's, it's open to all the members in the union. And so I really hope to see it be a very competitive process to see, you know, who's really going to try to, um, put themselves forward as a leader for our union. Uh, as far as the question about the Biden administration, I would say probably not. Uh, famously, we got brought to after our election win in 2022. We uh, were invited to the Senate. Bernie Sanders invited us to the Senate. Uh, Chris um, spoke on behalf of our union. He had an interaction with Lindsey Graham and then he met Joe Biden and I, they took some photos. But uh, for the most part, that's really it. Uh, I can give Biden some credit and say that Jennifer Abruzzo and the current NLRB is really is really progressive and probably the best it's been in a long time and uh, has been as, as aggressive as the NLRB can be in taking on Amazon. They're very slow, um, but that's just how the NLRB always is. But uh, yeah, I guess I can give him credit there as far as having a very pro-union NLRB. You know, it's it's funny that you say that, Connor, and it's always funny to get a Jennifer Abruzzo shout out on on RPM because it actually happens more than you might expect. Um, we did a show a couple weeks ago with uh, Jenny Brown of the organization Labor Notes, kind of about trends in the labor movement 2023 going into 2024. And she also pointed out that this NLRB has been notably uh, pro worker, which is definitely something to celebrate, but also to keep in perspective, as I think you and I agree on that. And um, I did want to respond briefly to something that our caller um, Russ said. But before I do that, just want to remind our listeners, this is Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI 99.5 FM. Um, we are live here in the studio. Our phone lines are open for a few more minutes. Um, if you want to sneak in um, a quick question um, for us here, it's 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And in response to, to what I heard in um, Russell's question about why have large established unions not wanted to organize at Amazon or Starbucks or uh, Trader Joe's, um, my own employer, um, I, I think that is a really interesting question. And I think it is in a lot of ways the right question to be asking um, with the follow-up question of, of what came in that absence, right? I think that's why we saw an independent union form at Amazon. I think that's why we're seeing an independent union form at Trader Joe's. I think that's why we're seeing a worker-led union at Starbucks Workers United forming, is that it's a response to how established unions have kind of treated these large corporations in the last decades. Um, which speaks to a lot of different things. One is a lack of resources on the union side, unions kind of being decimated by decades of anti-union um, sentiment and material anti-union policies from the government, anti-communism, um, and its effect on, on unions and union organizers certainly can't be um, understated. Um, but also, 
you know, these are, in, it's also due down to the industries themselves. I think for a long time, a workplace like Starbucks wasn't seen as significant to organize um, because it was an industry that's populated by largely young people um, is one of the kind of myths about service industry organizing um, or that service industry jobs. I don't know if this is true of warehouse jobs as well, but speaking from my own experience, service industry jobs are just things that you do while you're in school or things that you do for pocket money and you don't really need to support yourself um, on that money. Um, also keeping in mind that these are jobs that are largely occupied by people of color, immigrants, queer people, other people who are marginalized um, in the wider world. The labor movement is part of the uh, part of the wider world and some there are some biases, whether conscious or unconscious, that come with that. Um, and the work, the nature of the work itself, and this is, I think, where this is maybe one of the most material reasons why um, these industries were underorganized for a long time is because they are extremely high turnover, and that's true of my workplace. I'm sure that's true at an Amazon distribution center as well, and it's incredibly challenging to get people to shift into a mindset of, hey, let's stick around and fight and make this a better job as opposed to let's hop from job to job constantly looking for something that's going to fill our needs and pay our bills because that's the second way is much more culturally supported um, in American society. And I'd love to get your response to that, Connor, but I do also want to hear from our listeners. We've got two calls on the line, so let's see if we can um, get the first one of those on air. Hello. Hi, you're live with Revolutions Hi, Per Minute. What do you, yep, what do you have to say? Hello. I have a comment uh, um, from East Orange. Uh, my name is William. The comment is what's kind of disheartening to me, which shows how long the struggle will be, is that voter participation within the Teamsters and within the UAW for the new leadership, the new contracts, didn't even crack 20% of the eligible voters. And in some cases, I think it was close to 12%. And that tells us a little bit about uh, kind of lack of organizational culture that's missing and needs to be built. And, boy, that takes a few days. That's about it. Yeah, it's radio, so you can't see us, but we're smiling and nodding here in the studio, caller. And um, it's nice to hear from somebody who clearly has... Uh, a knowledge of unions and, and what they're like on the inside. So I do appreciate you listening um, and appreciate you calling in. Um, I'd love to give my guest, Connor Spencer, an opportunity to respond to that if you want, Connor. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. It is uh, a little disheartening. And I think the problem is that both in the case of the Teamsters and the UAW is um, for many decades, they had entrenched, uh, in some cases, corrupt leadership uh, that has led to a really stagnant kind of disengaged base of membership. And um, recently, I mean, in a, in a good way, both uh, uh, there, there have been leadership shakeups in both unions, uh, largely due to the efforts of reform caucuses. And you're starting to see a re-engagement. And also generally across the U.S., we're starting to see people become more and more supportive of unions. And so I'm hoping that that is a problem that becomes less of a problem going forward. I think that, uh, 
people out there are going to want to join union more unions more people who are in unions are going to want to feel like they're more motivated to take ownership of their union and participate in the processes of their unions and voting on contracts and voting in leadership elections. Um, but yeah, it is definitely a problem that we need to fix and we need to be cognizant of even in my union and building ALU to make sure that our workers really are engaged. And it's not just a minority group of people making decisions on behalf of the, the larger majority. Absolutely. And I would just add to that quickly before I, we, before we take our next call that it's part of why I personally found the ALU Reform Caucus story to be such an interesting one because this is such a common dynamic within established unions um, that it was it's fascinating to me that um, even in a union in its early stage would have a level of passion and a level of engagement that it would have workers saying, you know, no, we really do want to be involved with this and we don't want to fall into that same pattern. And I think that kind of speaks to this new labor movement and the way it is breaking patterns um, in multiple ways, organizing in new industries, organizing in different ways, um, different styles of leadership, different styles of communication. So I think that speaks to kind of what it's going to take to win um, in the in this kind of, I guess you could say, 21st century um, labor movement. So we've got uh, just a couple of minutes left in the show, but I think we might have one caller um, left holding, if we could hear their thoughts on air. Hello? Hi, you're live with Revolutions for a minute. Holding, if we could hear Hi. I um, have been in three unions in my life. <laughs> Actors, teachers, uh, restaurant workers. And uh, sadly, my father was warped by the Fox News. Trumpian, uh, anti-union, you know, campaign, even though our family was raised by his mill worker, <laughs> paper mill union. What I feel as a person who's now 60 is that it's, uh, it's a tax on the body. It's a tax on the psyche, the brain. Mental health, and I think because our society is so behind on on uh, acknowledging the need for mental health, and uh, that you know, anytime you're using your body, you should be paid more. That's what I don't understand is like how people at a desk think that <laughs> people that are using their body, like actually beating down your body your feet, your, your brain, your, you know, it, it, to me, that's all backwards. I think it's probably from slavery, <laughs> from, you know, this uh, use of people's bodies. Um, I don't know. I haven't explored it a lot, but I feel for the young people, and I want the youth to be demanding because while you're young, you don't realize what you're using of your energy, you know? And the second thing is that it needs to, women need to be more of a voice because we can be more creative in what the benefits might be for a union, you know, childcare or, you know, group, uh, group childcare or, you know, and resting, great. Where can you sit down during your break? Like, all that stuff is where it's such a deficit. 
And that alone for me is worth being in a union. Not just about the money. Well, thanks so much for your call. Um, we're going to go ahead and disconnect you just because we're coming to the end of yeah. our show. Yeah. But um, I really you appreciate um, you know your your comments. I really appreciate being able to end the show on that note. Um, I'll respond super briefly, then we'll go back to to Connor for just a moment. But um, you're you're so right about the the mental health toll, the physical health toll. You know, I see coworkers in their twenties who are wearing back braces who have plantar fasciitis who have these various other chronic conditions that are going to stick with them um, for their whole lives. Um, and, and I know that and they, they may not know that, um, but it is it is very true. And the toll that that takes in, in more ways than one is something that I think people need to people need to know. Um, we're, if we're talking about being a barista and whether, you know, a barista is an organi- organizable job. Yes, it is. It's a dangerous job. It's a physical job. Um, and those people need need unions very much. And then speaking about the role of, of women in unions, I, I couldn't agree more with you, caller. And I do just want to take this moment to make a recommendation to our listening audience. If we have any people out there who are interested in UAW, particularly interested in the history of UAW, there's a wonderful documentary called With Babies and Banners, the story of the Women's Emergency Brigade that actually explores the role of women in the 1930s UAW sit-down strikes. And it touches on these issues um, that you mentioned, Caller, about issues like childcare, um, breastfeeding, various other issues that women have taken the lead on in terms of making um, jobs more hospitable to parents um, of all genders, whether <laughs> whether they be men, women, or, or neither. So the, again, that's with babies and banners excellent documentary um, if you're talking about feminist labor history, which I love to do. Um, but I'm going to stop doing that for now and just say, Connor, thanks so much for joining us on tonight's Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, with our last minute of the show, do you have any final parting thoughts that you want to leave our audience with? Uh, no, just uh, in response to what the last caller said, uh, absolutely correct. Uh, it's almost as though in an Amazon warehouse, um, they, they, the turnover is so high, they view the workforce and the, the workers as just another thing to be consumed in the process of uh, producing the, the, you know, the, the products that they're trying to ship out. And we're just there to be replaced like uh, like a bearing in the, in the machine. So um, absolutely, I agree with the, the sentiment she expressed there. But you're not a bearing in the machine. You're a human being and so am I. <laughs> And, and that should that should be recognized. And um, just can't thank you enough for your work. Thanks for much, so much for coming on. And um, we'd love to keep up the relationship and keep hearing from ALU, especially as you head into your um, leadership elections in 2024. So that's our show for tonight. Um, we will be back next week with a bit of uh, end of year holiday time special, the best of RPM um, from 2023. So make sure to tune in for that. Um, but for now, I'll say goodnight. This has been Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. You can connect with us after the show by emailing revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Amy Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.